about three weeks ago, I read a quote that at that time I thought was particularly good, but didn't realize that standing before you today, the impact it might have. The quote was from an Advent devotional. In fact, um, it was from one that I suggested in the blog post and we sent out in our newsletter and then a link to it. It simply said this. Christmas is good because people are bad. The bright light of Christmas is glorious because hearts are lost in darkness. It seems that more and more frequently we are reminded of the darkness in the hearts of people. Our news is filled with reminders of the depths of the sinfulness and hurt in the lives of individuals. And never has that been more evident than the news that we all saw from Friday. Never has it been more evident about the depths of the sinfulness and darkness of man than to hear the reports coming from Newton, Connecticut, of children, kindergartners, six-year-olds, struck down by one person. And as I thought about today and I thought about our series of messages and we've talked about Christmas, I thought about facing tragedy at Christmas. It's something that's unexpected. And as a nation, it is something we have faced on a really global scale. We've faced it nationally. But as I mentioned this morning, um, I, I, we have friends through our mission trips to Brazil that that write on Facebook and post things. And I'm able to see it. And to see the reaction from people as far away as Brazil to the events in Connecticut tells you that it really is a global village in a lot of ways. People all over the world are reacting. And in the midst of this Christmas season, none of us could have expected the kind of thing that we heard about on Friday. And so as I began to think through what we were going to do this morning, I couldn't help but think about, well, what do we say when things like that happen? As believers in Jesus Christ, what do we say when events like the events at an elementary school in Connecticut happen? In fact, my guess is that tomorrow when you go back to school or back to work or you go back to some friendships or to some people, that the topic of conversation will still center around the events of Friday, as they should. And as you're gathered with co-workers and friends, there may be someone that says, so what do you say to all of that? Now, they may not come out as directly as that and say, but it may start with, well, I think. And as a Christian, how do we respond when things like this happen? The truth is, as Christians, we don't have all the answers, but we do have the major one. And it is our responsibility in these times to think through, as Scripture says, to be able to give a defense for the hope that is within. And so today's going to be a little bit of a different sermon. If you're a guest, this is different than what we normally do. We normally look at the scriptures and we try to figure out some applicable things for our lives. And we're going to hear some scriptures in here today, but we're going to talk more broadly in general about a biblical understanding of suffering, of tragedy, and what scriptures say to it. 
And we're going to talk through how we can give a response to those who question. And the first thing that we do in a situation like this as believers, as prescribed by Scripture, is that we grieve with those who grieve. How many of you felt some emotion watching the news, right? What kind of emotions do you feel? Sad? Disgust? Anger? Anxious? It hit pretty close to most of us. Yesterday, reading the birthdays of those children that had been killed, it hit really close to me because several of them were right around Luke's birthday. You watch those kids on stage today and realize that a few of them are the age of those kids. And the first step as believers we can do is to grieve with those who grieve. And we don't know, or most of us at least I would guess, don't know any of the victims' families personally. But that doesn't mean we don't pray for them, we don't think about them, we don't offer up to God our anger, our fear, our anxiety, our desire that this not be something that happens again. We, we, we are honest with the Lord in our grief, and in doing so, we grieve with them. We, we announce that the first emotion that is felt is anger and resentment towards what happened. Here's what I believe. I believe that God is angry with what happened on Friday. That he is emotionally concerned about the people of that town. And lest we think that God is untouched by such things, we are talking about a faith where we believe that God gave his own son up for us. And in that moment, at least what the scriptures imply, is that the moment his son died, God expressed emotion. The temple curtain tore, and that is symbolic, yes, but there was also darkness over the land and earthquakes. God announcing his displeasure. We grieve with those who grieve. We take our emotions to the Lord. We tell him those things that are within inside of us. We Pour them out to Him. Scripture teaches us over and over again to pour it out to Him. And in the midst of that, we refuse to become bitter in life in general. Doesn't mean we don't hate what happened, but we don't become bitter about life or cynical. We remember what's important and drive those around us to remember what's important. Now, Friday afternoon, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, I got a text from my dad, which... Um, if you knew my dad, getting a text from my dad in itself is uh, quite an accomplishment on his part. All right, But all the text said was, hug my grandchildren. You refocus you on what's important, right? My guess is for parents in this room, grandparents in this room, the first thing you thought about when you heard the news was how tragic it was and how grateful you were about your own. And in the midst of that, we rely on what we know to be true. Scripture teaches us we grieve with those who grieve. But here's what it also says about an incident like what we saw. And that is we affirm the sinfulness of sin and the full reality of human evil. This tragedy is just as evil and horrible 
and ugly as it appears. We don't deny the reality of evil. Instead, we call it exactly what it is. Murder, massacre, killing. The closer we look at it, the more hideous it becomes. I mean, what else can you say about what happened other than it is grotesque and unfathomable? Resisting our instincts and trying to find other explanations for it, although there may be some ancillary or outside explanations for what has happened, we know at the root of the cause of this was sin. Man's denial of God and our own predisposition to do those things contrary to what God desires for us to do. The world will look for reasons. And this guy's acts may be minimized by some as a result of psychiatric or psychological causation or mitigated by cultural, economic, political, or emotional factors. But listen to me. Those things may be factors, but they are not the root cause. We as believers know that the Bible never takes lightly the reality of evil. It never takes lightly what man is capable of doing. Over the last hundred years, we have seen all kinds of atrocities. We've seen um, Hitler and what he did in the, to the Jewish people. We've seen the killing fields of Cambodia and the Soviet gulags. In this century, we've seen terrorism and its fight against freedom. And we've added another name to the list of atrocities. He is not the first, nor will he be the last. Terry, the Lord's coming. But this is something that's been happening for years. Prophet Jeremiah knew the wickedness and deceit of the human heart and said... Who can understand it? Scripture teaches that sin has separated us from God. That it causes the wrath and curse of God to be upon us. And because of sin, we are given to this life and the troubles that are here. To death itself and apart from Christ to eternity separated from Him. What happened on Friday is just the outworking of of sin coursing through one man's veins. And in the midst of the reality of sinfulness and human evil, we also affirm the reality of spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, authorities, the world powers, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And what we have to remember is that from the moment that man chose to disobey God, God and Satan have been in battling one another, battling one another through the ages. And that what we often recognize as physical and here is also oftentimes a result of what is happening in the spiritual realm. I mean, there is no way to explain some evil other than there has got to be a spiritual realm that is warring against God. On Friday evening, a guy that I respect a lot, a writer by the name of Russell Moore, wrote a lengthy article about some things there and talked specifically about spiritual warfare. 
And he tied what happened on Friday to the spiritual warfare of Christmas. Now, I know that that's usually not on Christmas cards. The spiritual warfare of Christmas. Listen to what he said. He first of all references the times in Scripture when evil targets children specifically. The Canaanite nations, Pharaoh with Moses and the Israelites, and even when Christ is born, that Herod demands the slaughter of innocent children. He references those. And he says, Jesus was not born into a gauzy, sentimental winter wonderland of sweetly singing angels and cute reindeer nuzzling one another at the side of his manger. He was born into a war zone. And at the very rumor of his coming, Herod vowed to see him dead, right along with thousands of his brothers. History in Bethlehem was riddled at the birth of Christ with the bodies of murdered children. He said, well, why? Well, Scripture teaches us that this spiritual warfare that is happening, that the course of the world is driven along by the prince of the power of the air, and that Satan is continually fighting against God the Father. And that he, as Jesus tells us, is a murderer from the beginning. In fact, in Revelation, and we talked about this a couple of years ago, there's this picture of the birth of Christ that is completely different than anything we get anywhere else. It's the only picture that John actually gives us of the birth of Christ, and it's in the book of Revelation. And it tells us that as the child was coming, that a dragon stood waiting to devour the child. The child is Jesus in the picture, and the dragon is the evil one, the enemy, who was waiting to destroy Jesus from the very beginning. In fact, Revelation twelve seventeen says that when her child escaped, when the child gets away, it says the dragon became furious with the woman and went out to make war on the rest of her offspring. Then Moore says this. Let's not offer pat, easy answers to grieving parents and communities in Connecticut. We don't fully understand the mystery of iniquity. We don't know why God didn't stop this from happening. But we do know what this act is. It is satanic. And we should say so with confidence. Let's grieve for the innocent. Let's demand justice for the guilty. And let's rage against the enemy behind it all. One of the things that uh, something like Friday ought to awaken us to is that we are consistently in a spiritual battle. Oftentimes that spiritual battle does not manifest itself as clearly as what we saw on Friday. But we are in a spiritual battle nonetheless. Parents in this room, you are in a spiritual battle For the lives of your children. Grandparents. You're in a spiritual battle. For the lives of your grandchildren. And I don't say that to scare. Or to intimidate. I'm just saying it's true. Now we're going to talk in a minute. We've got the answer. And we can be hopeful and confident in that. But it's true. Here's the last thing. In the midst of all of that. In the midst of realizing the sinfulness of sin, the reality of evil, the spiritual warfare that we're battling, what we finish with is this. That we affirm Christ as the only adequate remedy for evil. 
You see, sometimes in the cuddliness, cuddliness of Christmas, that's not easy to say, in the cuddliness of Christmas, we miss the stark reality that it is great news because it is God's opening moment of declaring victory against sin. That, that child born in Bethlehem isn't just any child. He is God Almighty come to earth to set His people free. In fact, on uh, Wednesday night, we're walking through the story of the birth of Jesus from the book of Matthew. Now, we talked last Wednesday night about just the name Jesus. And when the angel comes to Joseph, he says, you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. The name Jesus is actually the name Joshua from the Old Testament, just the Greek form of it. And it means simply that Jehovah will save. Jehovah is salvation. And so what he says is, Jesus that is coming, the one that is going to be born, is going to free people from the worst enemy there is. The truth is that the birth of Jesus was the opening salvo, the warning shot, the first bullet in the warfare changing towards God-inevitable victory. Now, it wasn't just because he was born, right? Just Jesus being born wasn't enough. It was that he lived a perfect life. And then the fact that there was only one reason, one and only one reason, that evil does not have the last word. And that is the fact that evil, sin, death, and the devil were defeated at the cross of the Lord Jesus. They were defeated conclusively, comprehensively, and publicly. On the cross, Christ bore our sins, dying in our place, offering himself up. As the perfect sacrifice. The devil delighted in Christ's agony and death on the cross. Realizing too late that Christ's death is what was going to set us free. In his resurrection, he is validated. And it is the ground of our hope and assurance of the final and total victory of Christ over all. This Christmas... As we get around and celebrate in a week and a half, the day Christmas is here. And the next week and a half as we lead up to it, Christmas specials and Christmas movies and opening gifts and driving around to Christmas music and talking to one another about the Christmas story and helping one another talk about the meaning of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas and getting around family members we see once a year and some for good reason we see once a year. And we're all around as we gather. Let us not lose sight of the fact that Bethlehem was an act of war on the part of God. That the one born there is a prince of peace who will crush the skull of the ancient murderer of Eden. As we gather around in our Advent celebration, celebrating the coming birth of Christ, let us also pray earnestly the last words of Scripture. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and pray that He will come again. Because when He does, it will not be as a child in a manger. It will be as King of kings and Lord of lords. And evil will be dealt with once and for all. So as we gather around to open our gifts, let us not only look backward to the act of war that is Bethlehem, let us look forward to the complete and total victory that is the second coming of Christ and pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
come quickly. And as we look or as we sing our Christmas carols, as we pronounce the birth of Christ, let us look into the eyes of our enemy and promise him the threat of his coming crushed skull. The mystery of evil is a declaration of war on the peace of God's creation. This war will go on, but not forever. Russell Moore ended that article I talked about with this phrase. Sometimes in the midst of an inhuman, murderous age like this, when we see all that is around us and the evil that is there, sometimes the most warlike thing we can say is to declare that Christmas is coming. On Friday, when I heard the news, thoughts rang, you know, they just ring in your mind over and over. And despair and wonder and questions and anger. And I was listening to some Christmas music before that. And one song I heard that um, is a Christmas song, but it's a strange Christmas song, is uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. You know that song? It's based on a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a guy that, before one Christmas, received word that his son, who he told not to fight in the Civil War, had joined the Union Army and went to fight in the Civil War, and in late November was fatally wounded. His wife died weeks before Christmas, and on Christmas morning he wakes up, and what he hears in the distance are church bells playing Christmas carols. And this is the last line he writes. And this is what came to mind. I posted this in a couple of places. He said, In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does He Sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth. Goodwill to men. We may not have all the answers. But we have the most important one. God is not dead nor does he sleep. And he is coming. And he is the victory over evil. Let's pray together.